It's the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast with your host, the Wolf and Action Jackson, who are keeping rock alive by talking classic rock, hard rock, progressive rock, heavy metal, 80s music, early MTV, UK vs. US chart success, and much more. This is the home of classic album and live concert reviews and your place for interviews with artists and legends. You're rocking with the Wolf. there rock and rollers welcome to the 167th episode of the ugly american werewolf in london rock podcast brought to you by me your host mac b the wolf and i will be joined as usual by my partner in crime from the east coast of the united states of america gary action jackson and we want to thank everybody who tuned in to last week's show on our interview with lee dixon eric clapton's longtime guitar tech I mean, Lee was with Eric from the late 70s to about 2010 or so. So he's with him for some incredible moments over the course of his career, like the Arms concert, Live Aid, and the Unplugged, and everything that came along with that, most of the Crossroads concerts, touring Japan with George Harrison. And Lee shared with us some amazing stories. And he's quite a character, does funny voices. He's a lot of fun to talk to. He's very demonstrative. I couldn't even keep him on the mic all the time. But it was a really fun episode to do. And so if you haven't already, I encourage you to go back and check out episode 166 there. But that episode kind of inspired us on what we're doing this week. 461 Ocean Boulevard is one of Clapton's biggest solo albums. And it came at a time in his life where he really needed something to keep him going. The success of Derek and the Dominoes was great. However, Dwayne Allman died. And that left Eric in a bit of a state which he dove deeper into heroin addiction. Plus, he's still in love with George Harrison's wife, Patty. And so he just kind of took a few years off to basically get high. So after he cleaned himself up and was ready to make a new album, he really needed to be ahead. Otherwise, people might have said, hey, you know what? He just doesn't have it anymore. He's about to be 30, and that's too old to be a rock star anyway. But he came back strong, had a number one hit in the U.S. with Bob Marley's I Shot the Sheriff. And working with a lot of his friends who were in the dominoes or were around those sessions, he crafted an album that hits the blues and gospel, little country, maybe even some old hippie acoustic sing-alongs. But the album went platinum. And since it was on our list of albums having a big anniversary, turning 50 this summer, in July, I believe it is, we decided to move it up on the calendar to coincide with our recent discussion with Lee Dixon about Eric. So we're going to go get into this and give it our usual track-by-track rundown. But first, just a little bit of business. We always love to mention that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a network of about 100 different shows, music-related. There really is something in there for everyone. You can check them out at PantheonPodcast.com or follow at Pantheon Pods. And we really appreciate our sponsors, RareVinyl.com or EIL.com, who are based in the UK. But they ship all around the world, and they have over a quarter of a million items in stock. These are the folks you go to when you need that first edition LP, or something in mint condition, or that picture disc you've always wanted. Maybe stuff from Japan that is hard for you to find. They've got all sorts of stuff there. LPs, CDs, singles, albums, posters, tour programs, you name it, they've got it. So you can go to rarevinyl.com and then use code UGLY, U-G-L-Y, and get 10% off your entire order. But it's a one-time code. So if you go in and buy a seven-pound single, okay, great, you've saved yourself 70p. 
But if you go in and find that rare first edition that you've always wanted, or maybe a box set that's hard to find and you're just not always willing to pull the trigger, well, use the code UGLY, you'll save yourself 10%, which should at least knock off the shipping, or at least give you a little extra money so you could buy something else at rarevinyl.com. They're great folks. They've got a great rating on Trust Radius. Check out rarevinyl.com or eil.com. Use the code UGLY. Save yourself 10%. Now back to Eric Clapton. I've been a huge fan. When I got the Crossroads box set when I was a teenager, I dove deep into Eric Clapton. And we even talk a little bit about me seeing him for the first time live on the Journeyman Tour in 1990 on the show with Lee Dixon and a little anecdote on this show regarding the song I Shot the Sheriff. But many people hail this as Clapton's best solo effort. Better than Slowhand, better than any of the stuff he's done in the 80s or 90s or since. And so we thought it'd be a fun one to dive into as it's about to turn 50. So let's do it. We're reviewing Eric Clapton's 461 Ocean Boulevard as it turns 50 here on The Wolf. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. So, because on the last show, we had Lee Dixon on, mm-hmm. who was Eric Clapton's guitar tech for three decades, including like most every time that I saw him. You know, I started looking down the list of the shows that we need to do this year because it's a big album and it's having a big anniversary. I'm like, well, 461 Ocean Boulevard's turning 50 this year. Why don't we kind of do a back-to-back Clapton thing here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it also happens to be one that I have ready. I can listen to it any time, which is always helpful. But as we always do, we like to kind of get to where we came into the Clapton story and kind of where Clapton was at the time. And where Clapton was at the time, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it makes it interesting, right? I mean, yeah. he had just taken a three-year hiatus because of his heroin addiction. Yeah, but you say that like that was a planned thing. And it, I think it was more just like he just, Ended up sitting around the house for three years like, hey, is three years gone by already? What's going on here? (laughs) Yeah. In fact, he was pretty upset with himself. Like, I just lost Mm. three years of my career here. The thing is, 
it was like from 71 to 74, whenever it was, he really wasn't that old. You know, it, it, it was like he, in 1971, he was, well, let's see if I can do the math. If in 73, he's turning 28, in 71, he's 26. So from mm. 26 to yeah. 29, you think, oh, well, he'd already been in the Yardbirds and John Mayall and Cream and Blind Faith and Derek and the Dominoes. He had already done so much. I'm like, yes, he had, but he still was not that old. Now, here's the thing. Back then, they didn't think anybody who was 30 could still do rock and roll. Like, this is for kids. It's an art form that's going to come and go. You know, Mick Jagger's not going to do what he does when he's 30 or 40, that's for sure. Or certainly not 80. (laughs) You know, the Beatles got out when they were in their 20s. So they're like, yeah, no, maybe it's just over for him. And, you know, the, the drugs could have killed him. Lots of people die from heroin. Right. Yeah, that is crazy to think about how, like, I mean, I'm glad it didn't happen, but imagine that was it for him. Like, he just, you know, they showed up to this house one day and he was just gone and he didn't have the rest of this career. I mean, it still would have been celebrated, but nothing like what he's got now. Well, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I mean, it would have been like, remember Eric Clapton? Oh, yeah, he was great, you know, and they'll talk about him like they talk about Jimmy and Jim Morrison. Right. Janice yeah. and he was in the right age range right I mean if everyone dies at 27 26 yeah. to 29 that you know that would have happened but somehow he got through it and eventually he replaced it with alcohol <laughs> which was bad it almost took him out yeah but, but eventually he cleaned up off of that as well and now thank goodness he has created the Crossroads Center, you know, in the mm-hmm. islands of the Caribbean. And he's had, I think it's four different Crossroads concerts. Uh, and Lee was talking to us a little bit about some of those to celebrate guitar and all of his buddies and stuff like that. And I've got to see him, what, eight times or something along those lines. Whereas if he died in the early 70s, I wouldn't have. Mm. Yeah, he, w- he would be a he would be a footnote at just another tragic like you said like Jimi hendrix like well what could he have been had he lived past this especially now when you look back you were saying you know 30 was kind of the cutoff date but you know that's not true now right so you know yeah what could he have been so for all the people that never made it out of heroin and then never made it out of alcohol addiction addiction there we go Mm -hmm. it's just it's an amazing story that he's still with us today and now we live just a few hours from each other because he's up in columbus at least for part of the year because he had three daughters very late in life and you would think that when he lost connor when he lost his son Mm -hmm. in the early 90s well that could have turned him back pretty easily it probably would have me yeah at least to the alcohol Mm -hmm. because i mean you know heroin okay you can't just find that you know on the corner especially in the posh areas where he lives. But you can find alcohol pretty easily. Yeah, and I don't think anybody would have blamed him for that. I mean, heroin is still a pretty big jump, but alcohol, like you said, it's everywhere. It's at everybody's house. It might even be at your house, depending on what stage you're in. And yet a fallback into that would have been very easy. easy. But I think that he he really kind of turned that into, I mean, I don't want to say a positive because... The child was still dead, but I think he he was able to share that pain with the world mm-hmm. and it, it, it kind of build something out of that tragedy. That's right. Well, and of course, we on our tour of London, we had that was a lot of fun, that rock tour. We went to Steve Clark's house that was literally right across the street from the pub. Like if he's mm. sitting in his living room, he's closer to the pub than he is <laughs> to his bedroom. bedroom. Yeah, that's right. But right a few doors down was Eric Clapton's Chelsea home. And our driver was awfully excited when he saw cars. Like, ooh, people are here. I've never seen that before. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it wouldn't have taken Clapton much to just fall right back. But right. he, he kept strong. And out of it came, I won't say his greatest song or album ever, but his biggest selling for sure and easily, mm-hmm. The Unplugged, which is, I don't know, it, it's probably quadruple diamond at this point <laughs> or something crazy like that. It's just unbelievable how much it sold. But so, all right, so he's got something. Mr. Blues has some blues to sing about, right? He's... Mm-hmm. Getting over heroin. He's still in love with George Harrison's wife, Patty. And he's still got a lot of, I mean, he doesn't have Dwayne Allman around, but he still has a lot of the guys around from the Derek and the Dominoes mm-hmm. days, including producer Tom Dowd. You got Carl Radel on the bass, you got Jamie Oldacre on the drums. You know, he, he's got kind of his crew around here. And the name of his album, 461 Ocean Boulevard, that's the name of the, uh, I mean, that's the address of where he was staying while. While making this album. And I guess, did he make, they made Derek and the Dominoes in Miami, didn't they? I believe so, yeah. The other uh, interesting side note about this is you mentioned Tom Dowd as the producer. Mm-hmm. Produced a lot of records, Tom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do anything else with your life? It's funny you ask. I actually was uh, part of the Manhattan Project. Really? I what? I didn't know that. Oh yeah, he was. He worked. He was a scientist on the part of what would become the Manhattan Project. Wow! Because that's one of those like. I mean, if you told me that you were in a band, okay, you know that's fine. Mm-hmm. If you told me you manage people, you know, again, that's in the sure. in the. Uh, that's pretty normal progression there. Yeah, let's see. Tom Dow. He was also employed at the physics laboratory at Columbia University. At age eighteen, he was drafted into the military with the rank of sergeant. He continued his work with physics at Columbia University. He worked on the Manhattan Project, which developed the atomic bomb. Purpose of the work was unclear until 1945, where he obtained a degree in nuclear physics. So he was a very smart person. And I can only imagine, like, they didn't tell you the whole story when you were working on this. So what are we going to do with this? Well, it's funny you ask, Tom. We are going to just cause a lot of heartache and pain with this thing but yeah it's just it was just interesting to me because like i said you you go from a to b oh okay but this is just very strange but obviously a very smart person and somebody who had very different talents in life yeah and you know you say oh he 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 worked on a few albums a few and some of those artists include i'm not going to read them all but just to give you a little bit of a feel for it the bg's eric clapton leonard skinner he did Derek and the dominoes album rod stewart wishbone ash Cream, Chicago, Allman Brothers, Jay Giles, Meatloaf, Sonny and Cher, The Rascals, The Spinners, Willie Nelson, Diana Ross, The Eagles, Kenny Loggins, The James Gang, Dusty Springfield, Charlie Mingus, Herbie Mann, Booker and the T and the MGs, Otis Redding, Aretha Franklin. I mean, it's a couple. Lifetime Achievement Award from Grammys right before he died. So yeah, he and he did um, Derek and the Dominoes. Layla. So that's why they got him back for that. But Layla was such a big deal. And it was kind of the magic, well, it's got Dwayne and Eric on it, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is pretty amazing. Dwayne's not with us anymore. Right. And Eric, it's funny because Lee on the show on our show last week was saying how Eric's not a prolific songwriter. He's a good songwriter. He's written some really good songs, of course, but it doesn't just flow out of him like it does a lot of other people. And you kind of mm-hmm. see it in the writing credits. Like, there's he's converted old blues songs, and he's got some people in his band, like George Terry, who can write songs and help him out with some stuff but of the well we'll see if there's 10 or 11 songs on here we'll just see here (laughs) how we want to count it he's like the he's the sole writer on like 
two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then some he wrote with other people. Some, there just he gets an arranged credit because they're old blues songs by blues legends. So, And his singing is still not classic Clapton voice, right? Yeah. I mean, he yes, he sang a little bit in Cream. Yes, he did some in Derek and the Dominoes and, and his first solo albums or whatever. But he's still not super confident about singing and his voice still isn't quite where it's going to end up yeah and and he kind of changes a couple of different times too in the what he does with it so yeah you can kind of tell that he's he hasn't found his quote-unquote voice yet on this one ah found his voice i get it get it no i don't get it say it again i don't want to say it again oh man first time ripped off how the blues was stolen what do you mean by that well so here's this classic rock thing because bluesmen didn't always sit down and write an original song they kind of take stuff they'd heard before Mm -hmm. you know and change it and incorporate in their own stuff but okay Lindsay alexander that's my shit i play my own shit not like eric clapton those mfs i'm like whoa okay Take it easy. He was possibly referring to Clapton's 1974 hit, Give Me Strength. The record gave Clapton full writing credit, but according to the Chicago singer-songwriter Louise King Matthews, wrote the song in 1939 before Clapton had ever been born. Okay. And, And Matthews couldn't understand how Clapton thought he wrote that all by himself. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, stuff, you hear stuff and you add this and you add that and you change the key or the tempo or something like that, and all of a sudden... It's something new. And if you're dead, no one's going to mess with you. Well, yeah, if you're dead and if you had no credit for it to begin with, like there's no estate, there's no anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. So you just kind of get away with it. But that's, right. yeah, that's the song, uh, Give Me Strength, because on the original album, it's credit to Eric Clapton mm-hmm. as the writer. But the fact of the matter is on the CD re-release, it's credited to Louise King Matthews. So just a little tidbit there for you. But we're going to get there because I have the CD and that's how I kind of listen to the whole album uh, all the way through the first time. And it's a little bit different from the original. And so I'm going to jive a little bit here. But before we get into the album, let's go to your experience with Eric getting into him and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So go. So I'm (laughs) trying... Start talking now. Tape is running. <laughs> Ta- yes, we're running. Yes, we're running out of tape. Oh, wait. No, we're not. So I'm trying to think of the first time that I ever heard Eric Clapton was probably Layla from Derek and the Dominoes. That was, okay. the, that was the big one. And then, or it could have been I Shot the Sheriff from this one. One of, one of those two. Really? Yeah, because, I mean, that was big on the radio. They played that quite a bit. And I remember hearing it, and then it was like, that's not really his song. That's Bob Marley. Right. But we, you know, we'll get to that later. But that's that's how I came to this. But I was always kind of drawn to this because, to me, the cover of the album makes a big difference as far mm-hmm. as you know what you're what you're going to get into and kind of how, how you think about it. Sure. And that picture of him just standing out in front of the the place with you know leg up on the palm tree in that you know I would guess like fifties era house from I don't know yeah what, what, with those old what windows it, yeah yeah correct and the tile roof. It just looks like the coolest place ever, like that hangout. It's always nice and sunny and warm at 461 Ocean Boulevard. Mm -hmm. You look out over the water. So I I always love that cover. And then to kind of get into this record from there, you know, forget Jimmy Buffett. That's that's where I'd rather be. Did you have an uncle who had a big record collection who lived in Miami? He must have had this. 
Yeah, oh yeah, he definitely had that. You know, the, he had that. He had you know every every all of the cool seventies, you know, Eagles and everything. And that was the other cool thing too is to see it on vinyl is just a better experience too because it's the big twelve inch picture instead of the little cassette i mean it was either that or cassettes back then so right the cassette always sucked kind of yeah yeah they, just they, the little tiny it was all kind of folded up right and you couldn't read it you know it's yeah. like even if they put the whole like liner notes in there you had to unfold it and unfold <laughs> it and then you could barely get the tape in there once you <laughs> once you unfolded it all you know and yeah i've got the i got the cd thing here and i tell you i got my eyes fixed so they work awfully well but I have to use cheaters to have a chance to read the notes on this thing. But it does say, give me strength by Eric Clapton. Mm. Interestingly enough in there. And there's a few pictures of him and the boys and girls who worked on this, I suppose. It's adorable. But of course, once the album... And the thing is, the Bee Gees came into it next. They were going to record their album Main Course down there in Miami. So, And then I, I eventually... I don't know if he already did, but eventually Barry lived in Miami permanently. Like he eschewed... Of Australia he and he eschewed Nashville or New York or, mm -hmm. or LA and, and lives in Miami. He has plenty of money to live wherever he wants. So they kind of moved in there next. So he was in there, he made this record and he's out. Of course they had to change the number of the house. Yeah. Cause everybody, because everybody's every coming there. You know, yeah. yeah. And we probably would have to say, so, yeah, all right. So, but for me, it was really cream. I think it was when I first heard Eric Clapton. Yeah. I okay. heard Layla. I had not heard his version of I Shot the Sheriff until mm. I got the Crossroads 4 CD compilation. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because I was into Bob Marley. I had Bob Marley's Legend. Mm. Listened to that back and forth a million times. Of course, that's one of his big ones. And there's yeah. a biopic coming out about Bob Marley here very mm -hmm. soon. I see it during the uh, the football, the ads for it. But yeah, I didn't come to that till later. But then she's waiting, you know, from behind the sun was a little mm -hmm. bit of a hit. It's in the way that you use it was on the soundtrack for Color of Money, for the Color of Money with Paul mm -hmm. Newman, and Tom Cruise. And he was kind of having a resurgence kind of in that mid to late 80s, you know? Yeah. What was, was the behind the sun was um, Forever Man, too. That was on the that was That's on right. the radio quite a bit. Quite a bit. Donald Duck Dunn was in his band then, mm -hmm. and then he did August, and then he did the Crossroads album, box set, I should say, which sold very well. And he was uh, he was doing Michelob Light commercials. He was around a lot kind of mm -hmm. when I was kind of coming into age as a teenager there. And then getting that Crossroads thing, which, of course, I had to cajole my dad into splitting <laughs> with me. <laughs> he still talks about it like I ripped him off somehow. That sounds about right. Yeah. Like, remember, I, remember that time you took advantage of him? You took advantage of your own father because he didn't want to listen to any of that either. Well, that's not true. He loved Eric Clapton. I'm just being sarcastic. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah. And he had this new stereo. Like his buddy had, what was it? An RCA like Ooh. dealership or distributorship or whatever. Mm -hmm. The new brand new spanking stuff comes in and then he's got to get rid of the old stuff. And I don't know if he gave it to my dad or he gave it to him for like a song where he didn't have to pay that much for it, which is probably mm -hmm. what happened. So now we have this beautiful integrated TV, CD player, VHS, you know, tape deck, the tuner, everything was all connected into one big thing. And I'm guessing that it was probably the size of that CD case behind you. It was, eh, you know, the, the TV wasn't enormous. I'll tell you that. But it, it, it all, yeah, it all kind of fit into its own thing. I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. I had to put it together by myself. <laughs> you know, I had to put it all together. Maybe not. Maybe he had the team come over and do it. I don't know. But I know I had, when we moved to Florida, I had to put it all together. Anyway, so now he had this great place to listen to CDs. Because I had the first CD player when I turned, I think it was for my 14th birthday, maybe my 15th. But I had a CD player and I had it in my room. 
And then I had like this old timey tube stereo from my dad from like the 60s, mm. which worked well. But when you turned up the, the volume, you know, crack, 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 crack. I'm like, ah. <laughs> so I had to kind of just leave it on the same volume all the time. <laughs> but now we had this like new modern stereo. I could come listen to my CDs. I'm just like, let's go get it. Well, of course, I still have it. They're all in pristine condition. If I'd given it to him, they'd have been lost. They'd have been ruined you know the, the box set would be long gone you might still have the cds but like the book and everything would have been long gone it's holding up one of the legs on the coffee table or something yeah you know bad shape but but yeah so then i started getting into everything and i made those two cassettes i think one was a 90 and one was a 60 hmm. it was like the best off crossroads so i'd have for your love from the Yardbirds and like you know something from john mayall and a bunch of cream songs and a little blind faith and layla and you know the stuff from the 70s like Lay Down Sally and Wonderful Tonight and, you know, I Shot the Sheriff off this and Motherless Children. So we could, it was what's called Clapton and the next one was called More Clapton. Wow. That was pretty, that's yeah. pretty original. It's prolific. But I still, I still have them. I just don't have anything to play them on. <laughs> but I, I just knew that he was one of the best. Plus VH, I don't know, not VH, but MTV had like, it was before they did Behind the Music. It was way before. They had like a 30 minute special on like Guitar Gods. Or guitar okay. greats or something mm-hmm. like that. And I recorded it. Again, still have the VHS, don't have anything to play it on. But, it, you know, obviously it highlighted Clapton and others. Mark Knopfler, Steve Vai, all sorts of amazing. Vernon Reed was in there. All sorts of great players. But, but I just, because of some of this, this really helped me get into guitarists and how important guitar players are to rock and roll. And he is God. They also had a thing on Clapton, like just one on guitar players overall, but then they had one just on Clapton. They kind of showed all the different bands he was in and all that kind of stuff. And I, it was just kind of an original rock documentary. And I was like, wow, he is the greatest. He's done all the stuff. I you know learned about when they put up the Clapton is God stuff around London, the graffiti and stuff. Mm-hmm. And cream was so cool, you know, and it was just amazing to me that he'd be like the Yardbirds. OK, we're starting to take off. Now you're going pop. I'm out of here. I'm going to play the blues, you know, and it's like cream. We're huge. One of the biggest bands in the world. It's like, yeah, I got to I got to get out of here. You know? <laughs> it's like, what do you do? You made blind faith. Well, I, we never intended for this to be a band that got recorded. So I'm out of here, you know, so mm-hmm. he would keep leaving every time he would get a band and would get a hit. It would start to take off. He's like, no, nah, I'm gone. So you got to respect him for that. He didn't just chase fame. It's like. Fame chased him. And then eventually he's like, all right, well, now I can use this to my advantage. So was this, this was his second solo record, correct? Was it? It might have been his third. No, it was the second. You're right. You're right. The first one was called Eric Clapton. Yeah. Which, and it was like with Delaney and Bonnie and those folks for the most part. Then he did Derek and the Dominoes and then he took a little time. <laughs> <laughs> then he went on walkabout for a little bit. To get stoned, basically. <laughs> You know. So I guess at, at some point in time, he was working on a farm. Yeah, I think it helped him get sober. Yeah, like when he was looking for something to do, and then he started playing these old records again and decided, you know what? I really do love doing this. We should pro- You should probably stop doing heroin and get back into the studio yeah. and put this together. And it's regarded as one of his very best, I suppose. And if you look at all the reviews that you can find out there, they're pretty high. Even Chris mm-hmm. Gow gave it an A which is kind of amazing. And it's interesting too, because there are some choices that he made on this record that are a little bit of a head scratcher to me, but. Well, let's get into those choices. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's start to get it into defi- it. It definitely starts with number one. Hi, this is Jim McCarthy of the Arbors, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. 
Hey folks, Stephen Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Number one. Motherless children. Correct. Done by uh, Blind Willie Johnson, I guess. But he called it a traditional arranged by Eric Clapton. So what's the truth there? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. know. But I mean, I'd never heard this song before. I I was never exposed to it. So, you know, it starts off pretty upbeat, right? It's got that riff to it. Yep. And then it goes into the slide guitar, which... If you want to play the what if game, what would that have been Dwayne Allman? Probably. So I, I mean, I, I would have imagine. taken him over Clapton. That's for right, sure. correct. <laughs> so I mean that it, that makes always kind of makes me sad that he, you know, you talk about somebody who was gone too early, just a tragic uh, motorcycle accident, not through drugs or anything else, took him away. I mean, he was twenty four, almost twenty five, and mm-hmm. I guess from everything that I can see. He was the dude to play slide guitar. Like he yep. was the the main man, only 24 years old. Can you talk about what could have been with him? So they do this and then it goes into, you know, it's what are the kids going to do when the mother is dead? Mm-hmm. Wait, what? I thought this was a, I thought this was a happy song. I know. You're killing me with these lyrics here, kid. I know. And the thing is, I had never heard it before I had the box set. And I'm listening to the box set. And I'm like, what is this? And he's playing some sick slide. And that's not really his thing. So I'm like, this stands out. This is a great one. I'm putting this on the mix. I love this one. And it sounds like maybe he and and George are kind of doubling each other a little bit at the beginning before he pulls off to do the slide. If you listen to the if you listen to it on the headphones, it's out of one ear. Mm. And then it comes in. So, yeah, it sounds like the two of them. Are playing together on the second when the second guitar comes guitar in. comes in yeah you know right. and it's got good drums it's got mm-hmm. a great bass groove to it yeah it's awesome now ken emerson of rolling stone echoes your concern that it's too <laughs> up tempo about so, a song that's about something right. so horrible you know here we go you know here come the lyrics motherless children have a hard time when the mother is dead lord wait what they, they don't have anywhere to go, wandering around from door to door. No one treats you like a mother when your mother is dead, Lord. Okay, yeah. well, you're, you're, now you're bumming me out. I know, but isn't the story the reason blind Willie Johnson is blind is because his stepmother blinded him? Oh, I don't know, but it, that sounds about right. That's horrible. <laughs> I mean, maybe not on purpose, but maybe. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. He had slide guitar skills, so that's he had little wealth in his lifetime. That, and that's kind of the way it worked. Son yeah. of a sharecropper. He was not born blind. He was impaired. 
It is uncertain how he lost his sight, but it's generally agreed by most biographers that he was blinded by his stepmother when he was seven years old. Cool. Like he, Billy's father had violently confronted his stepmother about fooling around. And then during the argument, she splashed Willie with a caustic solution of lye water, Ooh. permanently that'll, blinding him. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. And that's why he's blind, Willie Johnson, and not just Willie Johnson. <laughs> and he recorded it in 1927. Mm-hmm. So here it is nearly 50 years later. And Carl arranged it with Eric. But I got to tell you, that slide is so good. Right. It, it's yeah. so awesome. And I love it. And I had the opportunity to see him not too far from you in Jacksonville, mm-hmm. October 21st, 2006. And this is a pretty cool band because Robert Cray opened for him. And then he came out to do some songs with him later. Oh, cool. But in his band, along with Doyle Bramhall II, mm-hmm. okay. was Derek Trucks. Oh, boy. Of the Allman Brothers band. Yes. Who is now the greatest white boy slide player mm-hmm. on the earth. And I went with my dad and his wife at the time, and it, I, I knew that they had brought it back for this tour. And when they started playing that opening bit, I started, I stand up. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. No one around me knew what was going on. I'm like, man, this isn't cocaine. What's going on? <laughs> or this isn't yeah. tears in heaven. Yeah, I don't like man. This. This ain't Layla, man. What are you screaming about? You know? And I'm like, this is so good. Yes, yes. I'm standing up the whole time. And, and Derek comes out. I'm like, whoa, this is so cool, man. So I'm glad I got to see that. So was he was he in the was Derek Trucks in the band or was this a one night special deal for being in Jacksonville? I well, that's a fair question, but I think he actually did tour with okay. Eric. Yeah. I think he actually did tour with Eric on that tour. And he may have done a couple of tours with Eric. Has somebody told me not too long ago, maybe it was last year, who was a Molly Hatchet played here in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And then with about two songs left, Derek Trucks gets on and plays a couple with them just because he's He's local. Derek Trucks. Yeah. yeah. And, and he, he can, can do, do whatever, whatever he wants. wants. Right. <laughs> yeah. So because I think so back then he was mostly Allman Brothers. Okay. Well, if the Allman Brothers aren't touring, mm. he can kind of do what he wants. I don't think he T- Tedeschi Trucks had really kind of formulated necessarily yet or maybe it was kind of in the infant stages but it was there was so much guitar talent up on that stage man (laughs) really was great opener by the way to the album yeah it's upbeat it gets you going right i know if you listen closely to the lyrics it's a little bit bummer but the mood of it is so great you kind of just got to go with it yeah and that's that's the thing too and i can do that it's just odd that you would have picked for for lyrics that are so bummed out pick something that's that up tempo i mean i i mean i love the playing on it it's just i would have asked him that question if we ever get to interview him what's well, what were your thoughts on that well we'll see i've got a call in no one's okay. called me back you know, yet well you know we did walk past his house and the that's right the, uh you know cars were there so you never know what's right, gonna happen that's right. okay now i know it's a little early mm-hmm. but i i wanna i wanna jibe just a little bit here all right because there are 10 songs on the original album the second song was Give Me Strength, which we were talking a little bit about. Eric Clapton took the credit, was allegedly written by Louise King Matthews back in the day. Mm. But I never had the LP or the tape, the original one. I have the original CD, which came out in 1988, and I bought it used. And so you can see there's two stickers on the uh, on the thing there, uh, yeah. okay? on, the, on the jewel box. One of them says the price, which is $4.99, which is a pretty good deal. I got this at Amoeba in San Francisco which is one of the greatest record stores left on the planet. Everybody should check out Amoeba. But the other sticker on it says original issue. Okay. And that's because the original issue had better make it through today as the second song. And instead then instead of, 
instead of give me strength, but then give me strength got bumped all the way to the back to the 11th song, the last song on the, on the CD. So it's basically the exact same record. It's just song two goes to song 11 and they squeeze in better make it through today right here. Interesting because I've, okay. So if you look at, if you look at Wikipedia here, it says it gives you the original track listing. It says, give me strength, Eric Clapton. And then if you go down mm-hmm. original compact disc release, here's better make it through the day. And then give me strength is technically 11 written by Louise King Matthews. That's right. So yeah. And what, and do, do we know what year that was by any chance? 1988. So by 1988, somebody had gotten to him and mm-hmm. the lawyers had gotten involved and they decided to make give credit change. where credit was due. Yeah. yeah. Because make it through the day today, that's from a different record, right? That that's from there's one in every crowd. Oh, okay. The one with the puppy on the front. The one with the dog on the front, which was his next studio album. I mean, it, okay. you know, it came out the next year. It wasn't even a year later. Like this is summer of seventy four. Mm-hmm. There's one in every crowd comes out in March of seventy five. And look, they did kind of run it back. They got great response from that one. So like, okay, let's do it at Criterion Miami again. We'll mm-hmm. do a little bit in Kingston, Jamaica, since the reggae thing went over so big with I Shot the Sheriff. You know, Tom Dowd produced it again. Jamie and Carl and George were all back. Dickie Sims was back on the piano. Albie Galutin was back. You know, Yvonne Elliman, who shares vocals with Kirk, she's back. They brought everybody back, but it didn't do nearly <laughs> as well, like not even close. And he went a little to, he went back to the well with, with Blind Willie Johnson. He opened with... We've been told Jesus coming soon to open it. Didn't mm. not nearly as good as Milo's children. His right. big single was Swing Low Sweet Chariot. Well, <laughs> that's low. not going to work, Sweet you know. Chariot. He did The Sky is Crying, but he didn't do it nearly as well as Jimi Hendrix or eventually Stevie Ray Vaughan would. Mm. So just so, a swing and a miss on that one. Pretty much, you know. So it's like, hey, you're huge. You're back. Oh, yeah, you're not that great, are you? <laughs> kind of, you know. Now, as far as Better Make It Through the Day goes super mellow it's kind of an am gold kind of a thing uh-huh. i don't know why they chose this one versus i don't know anything else or why they chose to put it here like you want to put a bonus track because it's a cd fine you want to take something from the next album also fine maybe they weren't going to put that out on cd for a while i don't know but i don't know it seems like a heroin song to me Okay. Yeah. I mean, I could see how, yeah, even the title is, that's kind of, unfortunately, when you're in the throes of heroin addiction, that's all you're trying to do. Right. You know, it, it's it, from the lyrics and the feel of it. There's some organ on it, but it's like a gospel soul blues kind of song to it. And if I can't make it through Not a bad song, just an odd one. Why did they choose that, and why do they choose to put it second? Yeah, it almost seems like you're trying to bury the other one. And, you know, you almost make that like the bonus track at the end. Well, you know, here's just a little something extra. But Whereas, maybe it's because because of the whole controversy over right. the writing credit. Like, it used Correct. to put it up there high. It's like, but that's not your song anymore. All right, we'll just stick it down here, you know? Yeah. I'd have put it between, like, song five and six, you know, between the first and second side. I mean, if you're really going to add something, but... Whatever, they didn't ask me, and I was only, you know, 
one year old or whatever. So, <laughs> but next is Willie and the Hand Jive by Johnny Otis, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was the second single off the record. Didn't really go. I mean, I think actually, no, it hit to like 30 or so, something like that on the U.S. charts. No, 26. Sorry. On the Billboard 100, and it, it hit a couple other places, you know, did fine in Canada and the Netherlands and stuff like that. But there's a little controversy over what this is about. Why? It's about a dance. That you do with your hands. Right. Well, what, could, what else could you possibly take from that? Well, it turns out <laughs> that some people whose mind are just in the gutter think it's about masturbation. How dare you? How dare you say that? Hand jive. <laughs> so it could be. Apparently, Mr. Johnny Otis got very, mm-hmm. very upset with that because apparently after a while, like everybody was just like, all right, it, everybody knows what this song's about. Oh, it's about this dick. Come on. Come on. <laughs> well, his original went to number five on Billboard and number, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, nine on Billboard, five on the R&B chart. He says, the lyrics are of a man who became famous for doing a dance with his hands. Right. The song has been accused of glorifying masturbation. <laughs> and Otis always denied it. And they talk about, you know, girls come over, you know, and they can do the hand jive. It's like, of course That's, they can. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's for everybody. It's for everyone to enjoy the hand jive. <laughs> Doing the hand jive with Sister Flo. Navigate, baby, Sister Dime. Now, what what are your thoughts on this whole, the vibe of this deal? Because this yeah. was not the first time I heard this song. All right. Well, first of all, Clapton's voice, I wasn't even sure that was Clapton. I'm like, is he letting someone else sing lead on this? Like, is this is George or Jamie or something? I don't even mm-hmm. know. It, it is him, but it doesn't sound like him. It's kind of got that Bo Diddley beat to it. Yeah, but it's slow. Yes. And and the problem that I have with this is, like I said, this is not the first time I heard this. The first time I ever heard this was the George Thorogood version. And that's way more upbeat. So you hear this and you're like, wait, no, it's supposed to be, you know, we're we're up and rocking here. Not like not kind of dragging this thing along. Yeah, no, it sounded like it was recorded by someone who did heroin for the last three years. Exactly. (laughs) You know, what are you doing? The hand jive. (laughs) It's going to take you all day. Oh, crazy hand chai. <laughs> so so this is another one like track one. The choice on how to do this is is odd because to me it's more of an upbeat song and you've slowed it way down here. Yeah. It was backed with Mainline Florida. Okay. Uh, and it came out as a single in October of 74. And Mainline Florida is a cool song. We'll get to that. It's It was the last song on the original recording. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all right. So he's doing another old blues soul r&b cover Mm -hmm. all right fine the next song is get ready and this song he actually wrote with yvonne elliman who was in the band and if you don't know her you know she kind of she had a kind of a cool career and and she did other albums besides eric she ended up in in london she did jesus christ superstar on 
Well, I was going to say on Broadway, but it's on, uh, what's the place in London? Oh, the West End. Yeah, there you go. Theater District there. Mm, West End, yes. Did that, you know, and she worked with Roger uh, Robert Stigwood. So that gets her into doing some stuff there. But she was with Eric for a while. I mean, basically, his 70s band was the same, except for Dwayne, for the most mm. part. I mean, she did 461. She did There's One in Every Crowd. She did EC Was Here, No Reason to Cry, and, and Slow Hand. And Steve Cropper produced her first album. So actually, the Bee Gees wrote, how deep is your love for her? But Robert Stigwood said, nah, let's just keep that for you guys. And let's (laughs) put it on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. This might actually be a hit. Yeah, and it went to number one. But so, you know, she never really became huge or anything, but she had a nice career. And this Get Ready song, it's... It's again, it's, uh, well, it's, it's kind of mellow again, right? She's mm-hmm. not really taking it up a notch on this one. Right. I don't really know what this was about, but that's okay. I think the whole Miami thing kind of influenced. This sounds like someone who'd been sitting on the sun and watching the tide roll in and out for a little while for me. I've never needed a run around checking out the bitches in heat. You got a lot of nerve dishing out what you serve, waggling your piece of meat. Easy now. So that's, we know what that is. I think so. I think we can, uh, we can go from there. Yeah. It, it is nice because it's, it's a little bit of a change of pace with a female voice. I yeah. think that they go, they go well together. Yeah. It, but this is another slow one though. That's, that's my only problem. Really? He's a man who's gonna break your heart. I never needed a run around busy out checking out the pictures and he. You've got a lot of nerve dishing out what you said, waggling your piece of me. Ready? Exactly. It's a little slow. And that's her on Hello, Old Friend. Okay. You know, okay. So, like, that makes you, you know her voice. You mm-hmm. know, she's really good. And I would imagine she's on Mainline Florida also. Yeah, definitely. No, it was on Reason to Cry, so that's definitely him. So, all right. Okay. It's like, I know it, but do I know it? <laughs> Are you sure? So, yeah. So, again, I mean, it, it doesn't stand out, but he, Yvonne has a nice voice. Right. And and so the two of them together, I'm I'm fine with it, but I'm just like, you started with motherless children. It's like, all right, boom, boom, boom. Here we go. You throw in on the CD, better make it through today, which is super mellow. Willie and the Hand Jive, which is super slow for what it is. And then Get Ready, which is another mellow one. Then we get to what was the end of the first side on the LP back in the day. Fifth song overall. Mm-hmm. And that's I Shot the Sheriff. Okay. Now, George Terry, his guitar player, had brought in Bob Marley's Burning album, Mm -hmm. gave it to Clapton to listen to, and said, hey, you ought to do I Shot the Sheriff. This is kind of like modern day blues, you know? Mm -hmm. So he did. And it was an enormous hit for Clapton. Huge, huge hit. I mean, number one in the U.S. Number one. That's nothing to sneeze at. Number nine in the U.K., but was top ten around the world number one in canada and it went gold back when gold was a million in sales the single went gold for eric uh, is backed with give me strength which he probably took all of the royalties for the give me strength part of it i bet if he had to do that over again he would change it to something else and of probably, course yeah the single was like a minute shorter than the album version because that's just what they did oh you can't have a four and a half minute song on the radio mm-hmm. that's just crazy you got to change that to three and a half. So here's, again, Clapton taking music from black artists, making it his own, and having huge success with it. Yes. The only thing the only thing about this one is that 
at this point in time, Bob Marley is still very alive and viable. Mm -hmm. So I kind of go back and forth on this. Like he, yes, he took it. Yes, he made a hit out of it. But how many people discovered Bob Marley because of this who would not have? I mean, in 1974, most people, at least probably white people, they didn't even know who Bob Marley was. Right. Yeah. I mean, I certainly didn't in 74. Yeah, you were one, man. <laughs> well, but you know, I still could have been cool back then. The annoying toddler. No, no you couldn't. <laughs> Island time, Mont. Would you shut him up? Ever since he discovered Bob Marley as a one-year-old, he's so annoying now. So I don't know. I mean, I, I go back and forth on this, but you said you heard the Bob Marley version first. Correct. So how does that, because I heard this one first. So when I hear the Bob Marley version, I'm like, oh, it's not the same as I remember. Uh, well, see, and that's the thing with the Clapton version. I was like, yeah, okay, this is a cover. This is not the same. It's the mm -hmm. same thing with Black Magic Woman. You know, if you if you heard the Fleetwood Mac version first and then you heard the Santana version, you're like, okay, Carlos did a little something with it there. That's cool. Mm -hmm. But then people who don't know, they hear the Fleetwood Mac. It's like, oh, is this a cover? Like, no, you moron. <laughs> this is the original. <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, the Burning album was only a year old or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, so it was right. It but, was, but even even somebody like Eric Clapton, who was in the music business, hadn't heard it until it was brought to him. So, well, it that's right. Yeah, it wasn't huge outside of probably whatever. I don't know where the reggae distribution channel was back then. Who would have heard of that outside of Jamaica? Yeah, but Miami was probably on it. Yeah. Okay. So probably. Yeah. So it maybe it got, got got bigger in Miami, but yeah, I mean, Bob wouldn't take off in America for years. I can't wait to actually see that biopic. I'm a sucker for a good biopic mm -hmm. or rock documentary. It's about the same tempo. Maybe Bob's is a little faster, but but it's it's close. I mean, I like it. Actually, I'll tell you a story. I may have told you this back in the day. <laughs> As I've told you several times, the biggest coup that ever happened to me ticket-wise was getting clapped in tickets for the Journeyman Tour in the spring of 1990. Because mm -hmm. we went to Ticketmaster, we went to the one in the mall, and it was overrun. Now, this is the Clapton. We were in Louisville. Clapton's playing in Cincinnati. We go to Ticketmaster. It's overrun. And my buddy's like, I know one where there's never any that many people. It's a blockbuster down on like Bardstown Ropes. Like, fine, let's jump in. We go. We go down there, and we're second in line. Mm. And we start talking about, oh, I hope he plays this. Wouldn't be great if he plays this. He'll play Cream. Da, 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 da. The dude in front of us was working for a ticket broker out of Indiana, Indiana because I think ticket brokering or scalping, as they called it, was legal in Indiana back then. It just wasn't legal anywhere else or most other places. So his job was to go there and get eight Clapton tickets so his boss could resell them. But he heard us talking about how much we love Clapton, all the songs that we love, the knowledge of it. Obviously, I've been listening to the Clapton Crossroads thing for like a year and a half at this point. We know all the songs. I indoctrinated all my friends. And so the guy's like, okay, look, here's what I'll do. I'll get eight tickets. I'll get four. Good, I'll get I'll get eight good ones. Then you come in, just get whatever four you can get. And I'll trade you four of my good tickets for four of your whatever tickets. And then I'll go to my boss. I got these four awesome ones. I also got four more. Okay. And we got third row center right in front of Eric Clapton tickets. Huh. Unbelievable. I caught Steve Ferroni's drumstick. Steve, who would later go on to be with the Heartbreakers for 30 years or whatever it was. Replaced Stan Lynch and the Heartbreakers. Most magical night of my life. But of course, we're, we don't have setlist.fm, so we're guessing, will he play this? I bet he plays this. Mm -hmm. He won't play this kind of thing. I bet my buddy Davis a dollar that he would not play I Shot the Sheriff. I don't know why exactly. It just came to me, oh, he's not going to do that. That's like a <laughs> reggae song. He's, you know, the Journeyman album is big. He's kind of back on top. He's doing his blues thing again. He's not going to play that. And he did. <laughs> and Dave started screaming at me, you owe me a dollar, you owe me a dollar, you owe me a dollar. 
So then we went out later that night to a bar, me and Davis, and we were chatting up these girls. And I gave him the dollar right in front of him. He's like, thank you, Mac. Thank you for this dollar. I earned it. So I hope you're well, Davis. And I know you are, you rich bastard. So I hope you're listening. I'm sure you're not. I shot the sheriff, but I swear it was in self-defense. I shot the sheriff, and they say it is a capital offense. Sheriff John Brown always hated me for what I don't know. Anyway. I don't think it's as good as Bob's, but it I is don't good. Think so. I don't think so either. Only because, you know, like it's he, he and that's the other thing too. So Bob Marley wrote this from a place of he's telling a story about either something that happened to him or something that he was, he saw personally mm-hmm. and Clapton is just covering this. Right. So yeah, I, I don't think it could ever be as good. Although I do have a problem with the, you know, Sheriff John Brown always hated me and I don't know why because you're a filthy pothead. Come on now. <laughs> Don't don't act like you're innocent in this whole thing. I don't understand. I keep growing all this pot, and then he gets mad at me. Come on. Yeah. Although, did you ever see, uh, what was it? It wasn't Family Guy. It was Seth MacFarlane's Cavalcade of something. Okay. And they're just little tiny shorts, and there's a gentleman in a police interrogation room who looks very, he looks like a Rastafarian, and the cops are like, so let me get this straight. You shot the sheriff, <laughs> I'm on, but you didn't shoot the jeopardy. No, man. Well, that's the easiest case we ever had. Okay, cool. <laughs> Moving on now. Uh, what I do like is I like the organ in this. Hmm. Kind of on the way out, and then they go into "I Shot the Sheriff" and the, and the drum part where he's up on the on the he's playing. I think like the rim of the drum. It's not reggae, but it's kind of you're kind of approximating it as close as you can get. Yeah. So. I don't think it's a bad one. I just think that, and I think kind of with anything, like if you if you like that, you're probably better off hearing the original. Absolutely. Always, generally speaking. But it sold 200,000, Bob's version sold 200,000 units in the UK, not in the US, in the UK. But, mm. uh, the UK was a little bit more open to reggae than the US was, certainly at this spot. So 200,000 UK versus over a million US, not to mention all the other places that it did well around the world probably sold millions plural and it was released july i mean it was released right around uh, the time of the release of the album and <laughs> it got to 33 on the soul charts so that's okay. white boy clapton getting on yeah. the soul charts <laughs> crazy hi this is mick wall and you are listening to the ugly american werewolf in london all right moving on mm-hmm. to number six i can't hold out all right Now, Willie Dixon wrote this, I guess, but Elmore James was the original album credit. Okay. So, I mean, it says writer Willie Dixon, but the original album credit said by Elmore James, arranged by Eric Clapton. Written by Willie Dixon, recorded by Elmore James in 1970 for chess. So Willie Dixon was a songwriter, I guess. And Elmore James was a recording artist. Original version was two minutes and 12 seconds. Okay. Apparently, Elmore James' uh, slide guitar technique earned him the nickname King of the Slide Guitar. So he had that going for him. And I Can't Hold Out did pretty well, I guess, on the charts, or it sold pretty well. So to capitalize on the success of this, 
So we recorded this song in April 1960, and, and then they did a rush release of the single in May 1960 because they wanted to capitalize on the success of James' previous single, The Sky is Crying, which Clapton did on the next album. So he really just tried to run it back. I mean, as much, you know, same songwriters, put them in the same spots on the album, same exact band. There's one in every crowd was basically 462 Ocean Boulevard <laughs> in Clapton's spot. <laughs> Um, but what did you think about that one? I like this. You know, we're we're kind of we're back to the more of the blues sound on this. I like mm-hmm. the I like the organ in the background, and when the slide comes in, it's just it's awesome, strong. The only the problem that I have with this is that he's got not problem, but he says I just talked to my baby on the telephone. She said, "Stop what you're doing and baby come home." Every time I hear that now, I think of that scene in Weird Science where he's like, "I talk to this woman this every night on the on the phone," and the guy says, "Every damn night on the telephone." Every night, man, I'm talking devotion. <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> on the telephone? You got to explain it to him every time. I- that. But he hung up on it. No, you didn't hang up on her. I hung up on the bitch. I called every night for like a month. I mean, I'm talking shit, man. Every damn night? Every night, Mitch. I ain't playing with and you. On the telephone? What this boy talking about on the telephone, man? Explain it what to God damn, we know there's a telephone, boy. What the hell thing I'm doing? <laughs> but he hung up <laughs> on her. Oh, you didn't hang up on her. The chick with those big, big titties? Man, you uh-huh. did. every damn night but no i like this i like this because it's to me this is the most blues e song he's got on this record yeah you know it's kind of like back to forms like okay we did this stuff on the first side now second side it's kind of what you expect Mm -hmm. a little bit more anyway i mean again though not a lot of original clapton rights there's one coming up that we'll talk about but yeah i can't hold out return to form Good. That slide's good. It's all good. Stop what you're doing, baby. Come on home. I can't hold out. I can't hold out too long. I get a real good feeling talking to you on the phone. You said, baby, don't you worry. You're my heart's desire. You know that I love you. I can't. The next song, Please Be With Me, by Mm -hmm. Charles Scott Boyer. Do you know anything about Charles Scott Boyer? Uh, Not really. No. Well, apparently he was in a band called Cowboy, and Cowboy had supported the Allman Brothers. Okay. And so he got, got to know him a little bit, and he was a guy who would hang out in Muscle Shoals quite a bit. So I guess he had some chops or whatever, and he had some connections down there. And he got this song to Eric. Had kind of an interesting upbringing. He was born in New York, and then his family moved to Louisville, Kentucky. Hey, just like me. And then he went to Jacksonville, Florida, just like me. Oh my God. Are you saying that you are Charles Scott Boyer? Is this where you reveal this to me? Yes, that's right. I died in Muscle Shoals (laughs) in 2018 at the age of 70. How is this happening? When we met in 1991, I wasn't 18. I was actually 45 years old. I could see you doing the math in your head right there. That was hilarious. <laughs> Wait, two, four, seven, carry the five. Okay, actually, no, I was 43, I guess. I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Never heard of him before. No. Didn't know this song that well. I, I um, didn't either. This is a this is kind of a this is a change of pace here. And I was I had this on the the hi-fi in the living room. 
Mm-hmm. And my son came in. He was like, what is this? This sounds like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I'm like, you know what it kind of does? This doesn't sound like anything else on this record. Yeah, it's, some, it's again, some nice AM acoustic gold. Mm-hmm. But Clapton's voice may be a little weird, but it sounds nice with Yvonne's voice. Yes, she definitely helps out. Correct. You know, and he's playing a dobro here, which again, Emerson from Rolling Stone ripped him for. I'm like, why? You know, it adds some flavor to it. I... Tell me what I hope to find deep within me. Because you can't find my mind. Please be with me. It's, I mean, this is kind of a blues, bluesish song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's country and blues. I feel like it's, it's like white boy blues. Yeah, and and it is the, the we've got some more slide guitar in this acoustic slide. That's kind of the common theme so far in this record. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't hate it. I've I'd really never heard it before it, enough to make an impression on me. But yeah, it's a nice change of pace on the record. It's very seventies to me. It's, yeah, it's kind of a hippie song to be honest with you. <laughs> Not that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, I, mean, I like old hippie songs sometimes, but I'm saying that's kind of what it falls under, if you ask me. But the next song, Let It Grow, mm-hmm. was a Clapton original. And it's one of the longer ones on the album. I mean, it's five minutes long. That would put it at the longest, even longer than Motherless Children. And I don't know, I always liked this. It was on Crossroads. Mm-hmm. And I think I put it, if I didn't put it on the first one, I at least put it on the second one. It's also kind of a hippie song, but the organ gives it a little weight. Yeah, like. and and the the singing at the beginning is very strange. And if he'd have done that the whole time, I would not have liked this track. But then it, it kind of builds into that after the that kind of that first verse. Yes. There is a note here that the chord progression is the same as Stairway to Heaven. Uh, I did see that note, and And I can hear some of it, but not exactly. The more you listen to it, you're like, okay, yeah, I I hear it more and more now. So, I mean, you can't can't trademark chord progression, so that's That's no copyright infringement here. But I do like the fact that how it, it kind of switches back and forth, like on the verses are a little darker. Yes. And then, you know, you get into the chorus and then that's that's brighter and it comes up again. Yeah, this is actually not a bad song. I like this more. The more times I listen to it, the more I like it. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're right. He is kind of almost whispering at the beginning yeah. of the song. It's like, dude, you got to sing the song. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so it's it's kind of melancholy and minor scale. But then they get to the bridge. It's bigger. It's louder. Yeah. It's in the major scale. It feels happier. And he probably is about, like you said, he worked on a farm to help him get sober. When you live in that environment and you're trying to get things to grow and trying to be one with the land and all that kind of stuff, it does have an effect on you. And maybe this let it grow, you know, is part of that. Yeah, I, I can imagine it's it's a big change of pace when you're out there doing manual labor. Like, I think things start to come into focus again. You know, you, you led this 
jet setting lifestyle and now you're you're basically just working with your hands starting over again I, and right. i kind of think that was the whole the whole message of this record was him starting over again yeah let it grow okay you're sick you don't like yourself you're having this hard time well just let that good feeling in you that yeah. feels good to be clean or that you know you have to move on let that grow let it blossom let it flow mm-hmm. But the thing is, you'd have you'd have the bridge, big, loud, and then it'd be right back to melancholy with the mm-hmm. dobro, right? With the acoustic slide dobro. So, look, it's pretty well orchestrated, this song. I got to give him some credit for it. I'm a little surprised it wasn't a single, because I feel like I have heard it on the classic rock radio over the years. I mean, not anymore, of course, but over the years, I feel like you would hear this once in a while. And I think in... in- I would guess in 1974, this wouldn't have been that weird to be as that it wouldn't have sounded that weird as a single. That's right. Hmm. Yeah, I don't that's know. right. But, you know, maybe hand jive didn't do that great. Yeah. And so it's like, well, all right, let's not put out a third one. Let's just get to work on the next one. Try to make it exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is Steady Rolling Man by Robert Johnson. Look, he's got this crush on Robert Johnson since the dawn of time. Well, yeah, I think everybody does because he was the patient zero for the blues. That's right. And the stuff he did with the guitar, some people still haven't really figured out how he did it. Of course, there's the legend of him, right? That he wasn't much of a guitar player. Mm-hmm. And then he disappeared for 18 months or so. Right. Allegedly made a deal with the devil down mm-hmm. at the crossroads. And all of a sudden he can play like no one's ever seen before. More sense, really. Interesting. I mean, Eric's not the only one who's tried to mimic this, Mm -hmm. but he is the most famous. So Steady Rolling Man is about a guy who's getting a lot of action, I think, is (laughs) kind of what it's about. And this, to me, is the most... This is the best non-slide guitar work on the whole record, because he's he's starting to really crank it out. Like, there was... I've got a note here on... Which one was it? Get Ready. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he's going to break something off at the end there. And it's like, nope, it just kind of ends. It's good to hear him kind of rock it out in this one. I agree. I am a steady rolling man. And I roll both night and day. I am a steady rolling man. And I roll both night and day. Don't know why he saved it for so long at the end. I mean, maybe he just wanted to make a mellow album for the most part, with the exception of Marvelous Children, this one, and then George Terry's Mainline. But I don't know. I'm sure when you're in the throes of addiction, you don't want to get too rocking. I, you know. (laughs) Let's just chill out. Let's just be glad we're all here for a second. Right. I I saw a note here too, that apparently I don't know how much of this was recorded together because he, there was something about how he, the parts that he recorded at the beginning, he kind of left them open so that everybody else could kind of come in and fill in around it. So it's just an, it's interesting now that he's, he's breaking out the more of the, the Clapton guitar bluesy solo stuff in this one. Yeah, maybe he's feeling good again. Maybe yeah. he's like, I'll just go back to the well. Robert Johnson's always been good to me. Crossroads was a hit for Cream. Mm-hmm. And as a solo artist, he did it again. So he's like, I'll just go back to the well. Seems to work. Robert Johnson only recorded 29 songs. I mean, Which I think, is insane to think yeah. that, the, yeah, to think 29 songs birthed this entire genre of music that people are still talking about today. Movement, yeah. The, the blues and, and 
basically British rock for the mm-hmm. most part. At least Came a from lot one of dude, really. Yeah. And Chuck Berry, of course. The, the Beatles copied him pretty good. But anyway, mm-hmm. the last one on the original album, Mainline Florida, is written by George Terry. Mm-hmm. This is different from everything else on the album. Yes. And and I, I see why they would have put this last because it doesn't it doesn't fit at all. And I'm actually I like I like this song. Yeah. But I'm really glad they didn't make the rest of the album sound like this because this is kind of like your original yacht rock <laughs> song. And and his his voice is a little strange once you get to get used to it because he's kind of he's singing up high again. Yeah. I say my note was it's very country rock of its day with a little soul and blues thrown in there. Is this about drugs? You're talking about mainlining in Florida. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he just got off of heroin and that's, you know, that's what you want to do is mainline the the good stuff. So I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's, you know, it's, it's nice to be in Florida. Everything's warm. You know, it's a, you're going to hang out and have a good time. It's probably about drugs though. <laughs> probably. But we see something we don't see from Eric and that's the talk box. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Have we ever heard that before since from Eric Clapton, certainly not prominently. I not that I, I mean, not that I can not that jumps off the page to me. No, probably made most famous by like Jeff Beck, Joe Walsh, Peter Frampton made it most famous on mm-hmm. Frampton Comes Alive. Do you feel like we do? And so I guess you know he's like, okay, well I'll play with this. I'll see what it is. It's kind of a jam though. This mainline thing. Yeah, yeah, I like it. And the well, the talk box is weird though because it's odd to see somebody playing the guitar with this giant. Tube, tube in your in mouth yeah. yeah and then you're kind of singing talking into the microphone it sounds cool i'm glad that you but you have to use it sparingly though you're right yeah, especially when you're eric clapton it's just one of the the tools you know yeah. that you have but i don't know I, for that reason i think it's cool because it, not only is it a good jam and it's different from everything else in the album but i you know I, i'm sure that he did talk box on there's one in every crowd because he basically copied the layout of this album completely. But that makes it kind of cool. Now, the last album on my CD or the second song, uh, yeah. Sec- yeah, the last song on my CD or the second song on the original album is Give Me Strength, which is, I mean, it's more of a gospel song than even a blues song, I would say. Yeah, you get the the slide at the beginning, but then the organ comes in the back like you're at church, and then yep. it definitely goes into, you know, again, give me strength. What are we talking about? We're, to me, you're talking about getting over your heroin addiction, and if you've never experienced anybody that had an addiction problem, it's not something that just goes away. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can stop doing the drug, but it's always there in the back. Hey, come on. Remember your old buddy. So... I, I would imagine that even though he did get clean and came out on the other side, there were days where it was very close to him. And you got to have the, you know, give me strength to say no and yeah. not fall into that trap again. Yeah, it's pretty obvious on this one. It, this is a repentant Clapton. Yeah. After kind of kicking the heroin. It, it sounds like a traveling, old traveling blues song. Mm. But yeah, it's it's definitely him. Lord, 
Now, he was doing heroin, certainly, during the time of Derek and the Dominoes, because he's yearning for Patty. He's got the whole band caught up in it. Dwayne dies. He's bummed out. So I guess he goes to his pace in England and just gets high for three years or whatever (laughs) it is. But then he comes back to Miami. Usually, when someone gets clean... They got to get rid of all the old friends. They got to stop going to all the old haunts. You might move, whatever, get new clothes, everything. You got to change everything up. But he kind of comes right back to Miami where he made Layla. You know, he comes right back with all the old members of the band, except Dwayne. Mm -hmm. That could have been a recipe for disaster, but I guess it worked out. Yeah, you'd think that when you explain it like that, yeah, you would whatever that was, you would want to do the exact opposite. I'm making this record in Alaska with people I've never met before because I can't have any of that around me. Right. Because it had to be, I mean, you were mentioning the band. I mean, that had to be a pretty big, I mean, it's nice to see everybody again, but you're right. Dwayne's not there and he's he's never coming back and that's tough because I think... I think they were friends. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah. It was more than just a guy in the band. Not to mention, it's like, okay, I got to stay clean. All right, good. Where are you going to record your album? Oh, I'm going to Miami. Well, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Any drugs there are in Miami? There's no bad influences there. Of course, they hadn't seen Miami Vice yet. It hadn't come out yet. So they didn't have anything to really warn them about it, you know, like we well, did. That's true. But you'd think Robert Sigwood would have known better. Yeah. But maybe he was just like so anxious, like, I can get a new Clapton record awesome like yeah. whatever he wants to do it let's do it but i mean in the in the pantheon of clapton solo like if you don't compare it to cream mm-hmm. or blind faith or or anything else that he did and Derek and the dominoes let's face it that's i count that as a clapton record it was just clapton with Dwayne. i mean you know right, right? Yeah. i mean except because this was basically the exact same band except no Dwayne. so but if you take you take layla out of the picture is this the high water mark for his solo career I mean, I think as far I would say yes, because you know, like like you were saying before, you get into the you get into the eighties, and it's it's a different scene. Yeah, and maybe the songs are a little more radio friendly, but they kind of, it's it's more polished. This is more like this is to me. This is more like him playing from his his soul. Like mm-hmm. you can play whatever you want. What kind of songs? These are the these are the types of songs that I love. Whereas the '80s stuff was more like we want to hear some radio hits, so go for right. it. Right, something polished. Do something with Phil Collins. Right, know. correct. So uh, this is up there. Is it better than Slow Hand in 1977, which Glenn Johns produced mm-hmm. and had "Lay Down Sally" and "Cocaine" and "Wonderful Tonight" on it, plus "Mean Old Frisco." I don't know. It sold, I think, uh, a little bit better than 461. I'm also partial to Journeyman because that was like the first album that he made that came out when I was, you know, able to buy my own right stuff and it was all over MTV. I mean, he had four bona fide radio and MTV hits off of that album. And it seemed it seemed to me on the Journeyman record that not it, it was huge and he had hits, but it was more it, it was more kind of him back to what he wanted to do again and not these not the behind the sun, not the August records. Yeah. And it was I mean, look, it was it was polished. There's no doubt about it mm-hmm. and still had other songwriters help him. You know, I mean, he you know, he did Hound Dog on it. You know, he did. Uh, I mean, Run So Far was a George Harrison song, you know. Old Love, he wrote with Robert Cray. Um, Jerry Lynn Williams wrote many of the songs on here. But Pretending, Bad Love were pretty big songs. No Alibis did well on the radio and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Plus, it had Before You Cues Me, 
which was Bo Diddley song on it, which he kind of brought back. He did run it on faith. It did well for him. And I got to see that tour. I mean, that's the tour. I just told that story from making the, mm. the bet with and my that, buddy. And, that, yeah, and you're right. That was new to us. Like right. everything else was like, Oh, Hey, this was came out. Yeah. When you were two. Okay. Whatever. But this is it. You're it's ha you're happening in the moment with it. So, yeah. And I think, wasn't it, it was right. It was, I think it was right before that crossroads came out before journeyman, right? Right. Right. Crossroads was 88 journeyman was 89. Right. And so they had that, they had that uh, beer commercial. What was it? Uh, Michelob light. Yeah. Where they did that, the new after midnight. I always yeah. thought that was super cool. And then, so that kind of led into the, the journeyman record. Yes. They used three big time English singers on the, that Michelob ad campaign. Do you know who all three of them and what the songs were? Uh, no. All right. So crossroads with their clap. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, after midnight, if after midnight, yeah, the mellow one with Clapton was a big one. Genesis had tonight, tonight, tonight. Okay. So we had Phil Collins who would, yeah. could do no wrong and was buddies with Clapton, right? He mm -hmm. had played drums and produced some of his records or whatever. Plus they did I, that. I wish it would rain song together around this uh, time, around that okay. time, yeah. you know? And then also Steve Winwood. Don't you know what the night can do? So it was, it was a night um, theme, right? So after midnight, tonight, 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 and don't you know what the night yeah. can do? So you had they to don't, be British and sing about the night, and then you get right. paid by Michelob. Correct. They don't want to use, they, yeah, they want to try and steer you there. They don't want to use afternoon delight when you're not supposed to be drinking this at <laughs> 11.30 right. in the morning. Wait till it gets dark, people. Once and the sun goes down, though, that's when Michelob time comes. <laughs> Well, that's your buddies, The Wolf and Action Jackson, and our take on Eric Clapton's solo album, 461 Ocean Boulevard, released in 1974. Kind of a comeback album for him, right? After Derek and the Dominoes, after the death of Dwayne Allman, after he kicked heroin, he comes back and gives one of his best efforts ever. And those are songs he still plays today in concert. And we hope you enjoyed that one. But we want to know from you all, hey, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You need to let us know. Our email is uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com, where you can tell us the bands, the artists, the albums, the concerts, the tours, the books, the DVDs, the rock properties that you want to hear us talk about more here on the show. If you're enjoying listening to us, please go out and subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're thinking about it, guys, hey, please give us a five-star review. It just helps us find more rock and roll fans like you, helps us grow the show. And if you send it to us, hey, we might just read it on the show. Thanks, as always, to Pantheon Podcast for making us part of the family. And thanks to our sponsor, RareVinyl.com. Guys, if you haven't already been to Rare Vinyl, go there. Find a treasure. Find something you love. Use code UGLY and save yourself 10%. Lots of albums having big anniversaries that we want to talk about here on the show and some very special guests coming up in the weeks and months ahead. We can't wait to share them with you. So you're just going to have to subscribe to stay tuned. And to all of you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 